0: The Athletic.
1: Totally Football Show. Today, Ralph reinick and the revolution. New manager plays a 4-2-2-2. Two, 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 gets a 4 2, two just win uh, with a goal from Fred. Elsewhere, Steve Wokorigi, don't mean maybe, and a vintage weekend for the and Blue with West Ham beating Chelsea. And Steven Gerrard with the greatest Villa makeover since Grand Designs. But so far, showing no signs of ending up with a baby in a caravan, wildly over budget. We'll be discussing all of the weekend's news and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hello there, listener. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a Monday morning, 6th of December as it happens as we gather together around a series of microphones with uh, Daniel Storey. Hey, Daniel. Hi, James. All right. Dom Fifield's also with us. Nice to see you, Dom. And you, James. Good. And also, a long way to return to the Totally Forum for Natalie Jedra. Hi, Natalie. Bon dia, James. Crikey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you've had a big week. You went to that Ballon d'Or in Paris.
2: Yes, I did. It, it's not as glamorous as it, as it sounds, but it was it was good, yeah.
1: Why? Why wasn't it glamorous?
2: Well, because you basically don't get to interview the players before the, the award, uh, after it's just a press conference, before the award because of social distancing, and it was very cold. So it was basically four hours uh, in like four degrees cold, just watching the players pass by and listening to the fans and the crowds cheering, and you're right. in a very small space. Yeah, but at least you, you got to watch like Messi win his seventh ball, Ballon d'Or, yeah.
1: Mm. Controversially. Do mm-hmm. they still use that green carpet as opposed to a red one because it's football?
2: Uh, they did use the red one, but I think oh. FIFA best uses the green one.
1: Oh, yes. so that's the other one. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Dom, you had a big week as well. You interviewed John Marsh of The Beloved. That was about six months ago. Oh, was it? Did that just come out? Thanks for noticing, though. Yeah, I only saw that this week. Was that six months ago?
3: Yeah, it was a while back. Um, oh, yeah, right. he's a. Uh, I love John. He's great. I love the Beloved more. Brilliant. Right. Okay. I always wanted to find out about Hello and why Vince Leg got mentioned.
1: Right. I, I mean, yeah. Intriguingly, although possibly not, you mentioned a video, him being at a flotation tank for the video. I remember the video being very, very specifically different with him kind of
3: jigging around,
1: but specifically because he makes a hand gesture when yeah. he name-checks Geoffrey Archer.
3: Yeah, he's, he's in, both in a flotation tank and jigging around. Oh, that's, right. Uh, okay. the, the, it's almost like there are two scenes. It was high-budget stuff back then. <laughs> right. But he does, well, that's exactly what he does. He makes a hand gesture just as he mentions Geoffrey Archer's name. Right. One well, can only imagine what kind of lyrics they'd come up with
1: for hello were it to be remade now anyway crikey let's say hello brilliant segue here to the weekend scores from the Premier League Saturday saw leaders Chelsea beaten in the early kickoff by West Ham Liverpool and Man City both picked up wins City with Watford Liverpool with the last kick of the game against Wolves Elsewhere it's all square between Saints and Brighton and Newcastle got their first win of the season at home to Burnley. Sunday, Stephen Gerrard made it three wins from his opening four matches as Villa beat Leicester. Spurs down Norwich 3 0. Leeds Brentford finished 2 2. And Man United had a narrow win over Palace in Ralph Rangnick's debut as manager. With Everton Arsenal coming up Monday night, it leaves Man City now top of the league, one point ahead of Liverpool, who are one point ahead of Chelsea. West Ham are fourth. Mm. All right. Story one for us this week is what happened at the London Stadium. Dom and Natalie, you were both there.
2: That was very exciting, actually, especially second half, because first half before Mason Mount's goal, I was like, eh. And after the match, I thought it was curious because uh, people, and when I say people, I mean Thomas Tuchel was talking a lot about uh, individual mistakes, And I spoke with Thiago Silva after the match and and he gave a different perspective on the individual mistakes. He said that individual mistakes are not really individual because if someone makes a mistake, it's because the other didn't make the movement that he should have had. So he I, I thought it was curious because it was something that that. Thomas Tuchel was very uh, clear about. He was annoyed by by the amount of individual mistakes, especially with Jorginho, because this has been happening in the past couple of matches. Uh, And it it, it is quite remarkable that this was actually the the first match where Chelsea suffered more than than one goal. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, it's just one clean sheet in the past five Premier League matches. So... Uh, I don't know how much uh, of that is down to tiredness and there's the injury problems. Uh, they do make a difference because the midfield is the area that's most affected and it gives a lot of shape and consistency to the way they play with the three defenders. And Alonso is the main option on the left as well. So, uh, But I don't think there's something for the Chelsea fans to be really worried about. But it was very interesting, yeah.
1: Hmm, West Ham, though. With, with, with lots of injuries themselves, the back line missing. How were they able to beat the league leaders, Dom?
3: You know, at half-time in that game, it felt as if West Ham had hit a wall because their recent results had, had suggested that they they were stretched badly. They, they lost a player on the stroke of half-time in, in, in Johnson. Um, by the end of that match, they'd lost their entire first-choice back line, effectively, um, to injury. But I think I think it was personified. Their, their revival was personified by Michael Antonio, a player that had looked out of sorts, had looked as if he was slightly off the pace. And yet, from half time onwards, he he found this extra energy and aggression and, and bullied Chelsea's back line. And this is a back line that, you know, a few weeks ago we were talking about them breaking the or potentially breaking the Premier League record for fewest goals conceded in the in the season. And he he absolutely tormented them. Yes there are some issues in that Chelsea back line I don't think Callum Hudson-Odoi is going to be used at left wing back too often in the future but but the way that Antonio ripped into them I think that just inspired West Ham and they Bowen's playing very very well he's he tapped into that that form he scored a very very good equalizer and then a bit of good fortune with the winner but then You can also argue that Antonio's little run that takes James away and allows that little extra yard of space for Masuaka to to even attempt the cross-stroke shot, that that is down to him as well. So it was just aggression. They injected some aggression and urgency into their play at half-time, and that was all it took to actually unsettle this Chelsea team. Mm. Who did the injecting? David Moyes, Daniel.
4: Yeah, his substitutions were progressive and positive, which given what Dom says about their recent record, and he's right, um, would have been perfectly forgiven for trying to sit on a um, a, a draw when they got to 2-2. Uh, he, he brings on Masawaki for Johnson and um, yes, I think Johnson you know had a had a knock but also he wasn't really closing down Reece James very well Masuaku kind of pushed up high up the pitch to kind of stop Reece James at source and in the third goal gave Chelsea something to think about in the attacking third uh, but I thought the, the 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 bravest substitution was bringing on Pablo Fornals for Kurt Zouma because while the move for Declan Rice to move back into defense was kind of predictable Rice's replacement in that midfield is Mark Noble normally so to bring on Fornals who is and play him in a midfield too. And, I mean, he's he probably described himself as a as a number 10. It's pretty brave. And I mean, Fournals didn't really have a hand in the goal, but it did kind of set the tone of, we're not just going to sit on this. We might not have picked up many points recently, but we're not scared of you. We're not going to take a draw. We want to win. And fair play to him for that.
2: Yeah, the the truth is that West Ham is is really stepping up on the big occasions because they beat Leicester, they beat Liverpool, they beat Spurs, now Chelsea, and even when they lost to City, they played really well. Mm. I think the difference is that uh, last season they had a brilliant second half of the season, and now they started really well. So we have to see how if they were if they're going to manage to keep showing this consistency throughout the season to really fight for that fourth spot.
1: Uh, Masuaka with his first Premier League goal. Ever in his ninety sixth appearance, Tiago Silva, you mentioned, Natalie, with the becoming the oldest goalscorer in the Premier League for Chelsea, and in other kind of milestones, a lot of people hailing Mandy with his worst game ever in a Chelsea shirt. Is that that that's who Thomas Tuchel was referencing with the individual mistakes at the end? Was it? I
3: think there was a bit of Jorginho in there as well, but yeah. also I think you can look throughout the team, and he he's talking about. Yeah, as Natalie says, and as Thiago Silva has has said, then it's it's decision making in certain areas of the pitch um, where maybe they're not making the right runs, and and that's 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 left a, presented a team up with an issue in terms of delivering a pass, and that's exposed them. You know, it, Mendy Mendy did have a poor game, but he's actually been shaky for a bit for the last week. You could say that he had he had the occasional moment at Vicarage Road when they when they won and, and if you go back to the United game um, eight days previously there was that time he just passed the ball straight to Fred completely inexplicable he just gave it straight to Fred and Fred obligingly lobbed it straight back at him but a little bit of anxiety a little bit of a little bit of a dent to his confidence I think no more than that I mean he's obviously a, a brilliant goalkeeper and his record at, since he come to Chelsea is, is is outstanding he'll he'll recapture that form no problem but I think it is a bit of fatigue, a bit of mental and physical fatigue creeping into the, into the sort of machine at Chelsea. But also they've been, yeah, I don't know, you don't want to sort of give them much sympathy when it comes to, to injuries because they have got an incredible squad and that bench at the weekend was fantastic with the, 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 the quality they had to throw into the game. But, but they have had some key injuries and it's disrupted everything. And Ben Chilwell's absence on the left. Is is a massive problem for them because Marcos Alonso does not provide the same kind of threat, the same kind of slippery threat, threat that uh, that Chilwell does. And Golo Conte, I mean, it's no coincidence that the the other two occasions under Tuchel in his fifty three games that they've conceded more than once, Conte was missing in both those games as well. And mm. the, they lost at Villa and they lost five two at home to West Brom. It's, I think you sort of feel their absence more keenly uh, with these setbacks. And Matteo Kovacic as well, his reputation just keeps growing and growing in, in absentia, which really sums it up. They're just, they're just disrupted at the moment. And their schedule is so brutal and, and merciless, really. With midweek games every week, they're going kind to of rush up this week. I mean, for what is essentially a dead rubber, they're qualified. They're just trying to win the group. But it's there's no time for him to sort of take stock and... Come up with a different solution. Almost, he's he's just sort of game after game after game, and this will mm. continue until they come back from Abu Dhabi in mid February after the Club World Cup. Right.
1: I mean, I like the uh, Thomas Tuchel after the game saying that there's absolutely no excuse in this because this is what happens when you play in the Premier League through winter, and he, he references the fact that it's the same for every club. Some some positives: uh, Mason Mount, who has recently returned from injury with his fifth goal in four Premier League starts, uh, and a it was too. Uh, Lukaku as well. Uh, now back and, and featuring although not particularly integrated with the rest of the team is that is that an issue there do you think Daniel?
4: Yeah I do because I, I said on this podcast when they before and in the pro when they were in the process of signing him Tusha was talking about wanting a striker who could play with his back to goal and kind of hold the ball up and play in others and Lukaku was doing that again on Saturday, you know, he receives the ball into feet, he plays it to Mason Mount, he then gets into the area and hopes that Callum Hudson O'Doy finds him with a cross and, and Hudson-O'Doy didn't. But from what we know at Inter, Lukaku that, that's more Manchester United Lukaku than, than Inter Lukaku. He didn't always play with his back to goal inter. He was allowed to drift right to pick up the ball and drive forward and it does just feel like the the kind of... Tuchel's almost putting him back into that same box he was in at Manchester United, which he can still be effective doing that and very effective, but it isn't the full Lukaku experience. And there's a train of thought with Lukaku that once you kind of limit him a bit, his confidence can drop. And therefore, you know, he, he does get down on himself. And then and that's when he starts missing chances. Mm.
1: West Ham, are they going to hang on to fourth?
2: Well, I think they're looking really well, but I think uh, it's just a matter of how much how how much they matured from the past couple of seasons, especially the the last season because they really need to show this consistency now until the end It's different from doing a recovery season that's what they did uh, the past season they had a brilliant second half and now they're starting really well and the, the expectations are are different too so they have to manage that as well
1: mm great. Very- very good point. They're not far ahead of Arsenal. Man United, Arsenal, of course, yet to play. And Spurs in that mix too. Chelsea, meanwhile, dropped down to third. City and Liverpool moving past them with wins over Watford and Wolves. The, the win at Vicarage Road for City, fairly straightforward. Uh, lovely stuff from Bernardo Silva once again. He's now on five goals and his lost five Premier League appearances. At Liverpool, though, and their 1-0 win at Molyneux. It's their 10th straight Premier League win over Wolves, but they very nearly didn't get the three points. Diogo Jota with a huge miss earlier on, but then the goal in the 94th minute from Divock Origi, mm-hmm. uh, who I think we should have a bit of a chat about. <laughs> One of football's great enigmas.
4: Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, I do like it when Klopp, when Liverpool win late and Klopp goes into this kind of ludicrous, hyper, hyperbolic mode in his post-match press conferences. I mean, yes, he described him as a Liverpool legend, which depending on your interpretation of that word could be too. But he also kinda of said, you know, he's one of the best finishers I've seen in my life, which Yeah. You know, I love how excited he gets at that. And it doesn't feel forced crucially, otherwise it would be a bit grating. But I mean fair play to Divock Origi because he could have left I think in the summer. He didn't really kick up a fuss. Uh he understands that Klopp cherishes him and he probably saw a, a Liverpool season with a, a an AFCON tournament in the middle of it and thought I might well get a chance. And whenever he does get a chance, he seems to... It's not that his finishes are are brilliant always. It's He seems to have this knack of coming on and immediately being in the right place at the right time, which Mm. is far, far, far easier said than done. You know, I think we live sometimes in this kind of... We get tricked by this kind of computer game football where every player's a robot and they know exactly what to do when they come on the pitch. But it isn't easy to train all week and normally not even get a minute. And then when you do... You you're kind of in an emergency situation immediately and be able to perform in it. So he's I think he he comes across as one of the good guys. So it's it's really nice to see.
1: Klopp also said, "I hope that sometime he finds a manager who starts him more."
2: Which is (laughs) I just loved that (laughs) honest. It's brutally honest. If I'm Origi, just listening to this, where do I stand? You know, honestly. Why doesn't Klopp Brilliant. start him
1: more then? Because he's got Sadio Mane and Firmino and Jota and, and, and Salah.
2: I think it's just a matter of his the, the way he plays. I think uh, when they sign Jota, Jota just fits right, right in that dynamic. Origi, he doesn't fit in that dynamic. He fits in certain types of situations. And he doesn't seem to be bothered. And that's not a criticism for him. But it's great to have a, a person like this, a player like this on your team. But he doesn't seem to be very bothered about not starting every match because then he has his chances and he delivers in, in big occasions. It's it's just it's kind of bizarre actually when you stop to think about it and you remember all the times, all the goals, mm. the important goals that he scored. But yeah, he's just He's he's different from the others and I think that it would be disruptive if he started all the time, you know.
1: Hmm. Avik Patacharya saying by my very subjective tally, sixteen of Divo Origi's thirty nine Liverpool goals are in some way memorable or remarkable. Five are genuinely iconic. What a career. That sounds mm. that sounds about right, that tally.
4: Yeah, and the thing is it's it helps to be an antidote to what's on the pitch that that's that's the whole thing it wouldn't work if he started because he doesn't fit but it 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 emphatically does work because he's so different when he comes on that um it surprises opponents and you can quite easily get pigeonholed like that i i just hope that the next move he does make and he will leave liverpool eventually because he he will merit starting games um i hope he picks the right club because if he doesn't, then it, it suddenly begins to feel like everything's gone south pretty quickly. You've gone from this kind of iconic cult hero status at the Premier League and European former European champions to a middling Premier League club where you're maybe not starting every week still.
2: And I just wanted to mention Salah's assist because uh, now he has uh, nine assists in the season and, and we've been talking about him so much during this season. But when we talk about his development as a player, we talk about these little things like his touch when he gets the ball. That was just brilliant. That was just half of the, of the goal. So, uh, yeah, it was outstanding, really.
1: Brilliant. All right, well, next up, let's talk about Liverpool's next opponents, Ooh, who are Aston Villa. An emotional return to Anfield for Danny Ings. There's your headline. It's the Paddy Power football supporter support line. We're talking to
3: Burnley fan Graham. What's up, Graham? Well, it's Christmas, Paddy. Uh, not a grinch, are you, Graham? Oh, I love all the midweek fixtures. A quick turnaround between games. So why so glum? Well, it's the work Christmas party. The a side drinks, schoolmates dinner. Makes it very hard to watch all the football. The Premier League is non-stop this December, so make the most of it with Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder
4: lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much online Bet Builder bets only min odds one to five per leg min four plus legs max free bet ten pounds per day excludes enhanced match odds. T supply. 18 plus. Be aware.
5: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kaye, and the very best football writers around.
3: Sometimes getting a corner against lesser is worth a goal. And it has been, yet again, Edsrup Concert. To-
1: Brendan Rodgers will be going absolutely mad with this. Aston Villa 2-1 winners over Leicester on Sunday is Daniel's story in his excellent the score column Monday on the i. Daniel says the difference between Villa in Gerrard's early weeks and Dean Smith's is night and day.
4: Yeah, well there's a with the same players he's managed to create a completely different tempo in midfield. He's got Jacob Ramsey playing brilliant football he's he's got Ashley Young being really energetic again Um, he's got marvellous Nakamba playing as a brilliant kind of combative midfield and he's got Douglas Ruiz back who who on his day and when he's being disciplined is one of the best in his position in the Premier League I think and obviously winning games makes you popular as a new manager that goes without saying but Villa fans are hugely impressed by this kind of all-action energy because That's what you need when you're replacing a kind of club legend manager because they have lost something in losing Dean Smith. And to replace that, you can't just win games. It has to be this kind of feeling of something special building. And look, it's only been four four games and they've lost one of them, although they played well against Manchester City. But he couldn't have done any more in these opening weeks because Villa do look completely different.
1: It's remarkable. They dropped into his first Premier League job mid-season at a club battling the drop. They were, what, 16th when he came in. Two points off the drop, a month on. Less than a month on, in fact. They're now in the top half. Three wins from four. They're nine points clear of danger. Conso with a brace here. And you mentioned Jacob Ramsey. He could have added another had that goal uh, not been disallowed because Schmeichel had it one hand on the ball. Mm. I know you want to chat about these rules. Um they're roughly as clear as the average government COVID guidelines. <laughs> it, they, they say, first of all, that if the goalkeeper has a hand on the ball, then that's him having control, so you can't kick it out. But then mm. immediately in the same sentence says, unless he's just made a save, or I, and then I get confused.
4: Yeah, I think it was a foul according to the law. I just think the law seems a bit of an ass at that point because there's no way that Schmeichel had had true control of that ball and he did himself a huge favour by holding his hand and kind of rolling a few times Um, it's it's interesting to know what what part of the body you could injure that wouldn't need you to roll around but Schmeichel made it very very clear that he was injured and I I don't know if that helped because the slow motion replay said one hand was on the ball and according to the laws by the sound of it that is a foul but yeah it didn't seem it didn't seem right And, and fair play to Villa because decisions like that we saw when VAR came in that when you get spooked by it, it can cause a kind of mm. momentary or temporary loss of intensity or loss of concentration because you're kind of thinking about what's just happened, but they they didn't have that. They kind of they had half time, they they kind of steeled themselves and they were the better team in the second half by a long way. Do you not roll around on the floor when you hurt yourself then? Uh I think it would be weird if in a kind of domestic scenario you stood on a bit of Lego and sort of immediately hit the deck and started rolling around.
1: Right. It's curious. It's it's particular dynamics that only exist within that kind of green
3: oblong of turf. On that rule, because Dan, Daniel, you've clearly done your research on this so you'll understand it much more than I do, um, the surface that the goalkeeper is putting the ball on, pushing the ball down on, that can't include an opponent's head then. Like Nick ah. Pope came up with,
4: yeah. So I think it's yeah. It's if if the, if he's either got the ball in two hands or the con or the ball and the ground basically, yeah. It has to be the pitch. Um, but I mean, but those then, rules are so open to interpretation anyway. I mean,
1: but then Nick Pope no. did have the ball under control when the opponent's head knocked it out between from between his hands. Or am I misunderstanding?
4: Uh, did he have two
3: hands on the ball as well?
4: Yeah, he did have two pounds on the ball. The insinuation with that one, like I, I suppose, is that he he lost control of the ball himself rather than having it headed out of his hands. I don't disagree mm. with you. Okay.
2: My favorite thing about the the what what happened there was uh, Schmeichel's confidence saying, I'm surprised we didn't we 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 needed VAR. For me it was a clear fall. I'm like, wow, there's the confidence.
1: Yeah. Um, As for uh, Leicester, let's talk about set pieces, baby. Uh, No team has conceded more goals from them in the Premier League than Leicester, although Palace have shipped the same number. Brendan Rodgers kind of recognising this in his post-game thoughts. This seems like one of the more directly adjustable things on the training ground for a a manager.
2: Uh, I was surprised with that because uh, we know how Brendan Rodgers works and we know how organized their teams usually are. Uh, Leicester already conceded 10 goals from set pieces and, and that's a lot. It is also a coaching problem, of course, but at the same time, regardless of set pieces, we've seen Leicester make more defensive mistakes that we're used to during this season. So I think it's it's a broader issue. It's defending. They They really need to... Take a closer look to individual mistakes and collective mistakes in defending.
1: Hmm. People are usually citing Soyuncu mm-hmm. when the subject of defensive lapses at Leicester comes up. Why? Why has he suddenly gone so off the boil?
4: But well, Rodgers said a few months ago it was a he needs to get his intensity back. He needs to be in a place of mind where he's concentrating all the time, which isn't great news. Doesn't sound great news <laughs> to be honest. I think even when he was playing really well, Soyuncu kind of had that. John Terry thing whereby you'd notice him making like brilliant sliding tackles and brilliant blocks and with John Terry it was normally because he was making he was either making up for someone else's mistake or he was doing something you wouldn't expect him to do so he's kind of going above and beyond I think with Siunchu it it quite often suggests that he's out of position in the first place Hmm. and maybe it's just that he's getting more exposed you see him on the ball he doesn't look as confident in the ball he's not particularly good in the air from set pieces which is the biggest worry um and, yeah, I think, I mean, if Wesley Fafana was fit, soon she wouldn't be in that team, put it that way.
1: All right, next up for Leicester. They've got a trip to Napoli on Thursday. In their final Europa League game, uh, Fox is a top of the group. I'd say final Europa League game, if they don't finish top of the group, they will have to do a two-legged playoff because of the new regulations in the Europa and uh, Europa Conference League. Basically, if you are second in the group... You then get this two-legged playoff with one of the, well, with the third place team from the Champions League groups uh, dropping into that tournament before you can get into the last 16. A good news for Leicester, though, is that uh, Napoli are in the, not the best of shapes as they come into this. They dropped third this weekend and uh, have a increasingly lengthy injury list. That playoff prospect uh, also in store for Spurs, by the way, they're hosting Rennes. In the Conference League on Thursday, Ren have already won the group. So the best that Spurs can do is get into a playoff situation in second. Uh, They might play Celtic, apparently. Mm. Anyway, Spurs warmed up for that with a 3-0 victory over Norwich. Ooh, Lucas Moura's goal.
2: Amazing. Yeah. And and after the match, he, he actually mentioned something about the training sessions with Antonio Conte being very intense. He said that the, the, the work rate is very intense and, and that you can see this in the matches already because physically they feel better and they're, they're playing better. And I think that's a very important thing because since Pochettino left, we've been hearing that the physical levels in the team really dropped. It was a... a big trademark of that uh, Spurs who made it to the Champions League final. They were physically very strong and uh, it's something the fans can relate to. I think uh, it's important for them in this process of skipping from manager to manager to find again their identity and the the physical part and, and how energetic they were at the pitch. I think that's an important uh, part in this process, so I think uh, Antonio Conte is managing to rescue that again, and and I imagine uh, Spurs fans are very pleased with that.
3: Mm. It's, pr- it's probably the best way of getting Harry Kane back into form and and those forward players firing again, isn't it? Just get them working. I mean that is <laughs> that is Conte's buzzword. That's that's what we know. I think he said it 32 times in his 25 minute welcome press conference at Chelsea all those years ago, and he hasn't. He's probably got more intense in the period since. Um, it's it's all about that And actually his league form If you take away the the Europa Conference nonsense uh, Ten points from, from four games is, is a pretty good return Albeit they've been quite kind fixtures And the last three at home uh, There'll be bigger tests to come But he does seem to be making slow and quiet progress there
1: mm, Up in fifth Two points behind West Ham Crikey
2: yeah, exactly. Uh, h- how big is the leap that, that Spurs can make from the, the team started the season like poorly to the team that's going to finish the season? Because they, they're, they're, they're up there. And we're not noticing that much, but they're up there. And I think they're going to fight. They're really going to go for that fourth spot. And a few weeks ago, I wouldn't have said that. So. It's, it's a bit...
3: I, I agree with you now. There, there is a massive difference in terms of the potential of from what what Nuno left at, at the end of that 3-0 defeat to united but they were top after three games weren't they they had 3-1-0 mm. wins to start the season it's almost as if that mm-hmm, yeah. they've always had that to cling on to and that's sort of given them an almost deceptive
2: they beat city feeling the table.
3: yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah um we all know they've got the the potential there but it was just just wasn't right under nuno and i, I think conte will yeah, he will He will get it right, but I still think he probably needs a few more players, but I don't know whether he'll get the funds in January. <laughs> mm.
4: The other thing is that, I mean, obviously Harry Kane still hasn't scored and that becomes a talking point as it carries on, but I think if you were to speak to Conte about it, he'd be quite happy with that. He'd be quite happy to get these wins without Kane and almost see that as a, well when Kane starts scoring, how just how good are we going to be? Because yeah. if they can share out those goals better, exactly as we've said, as, as Chelsea and as City have done this season, if, avoiding any sort of over-reliance on Harry Kane is an absolute must if we're not sure he's going to be there next season. So, mm. um, yeah, that that's really good, I think.
1: The other new guy in the management stakes in the Premier League, Eddie Howe, meantime masterminding an actual win for Newcastle this weekend over fellow bottom three side Burnley. Also a clean sheet. Boy, mm. that, that's that's extraordinary. I mean it was only against Burnley, but just them winning feels like everything's changed. The sun's come out over St James's.
4: Yeah, they're six points off the top half now, or six points off eleventh, I think, now, so it's all fine. Six Nothing points to worry off about.
1: 11th. Three points off safety. <laughs> Callum Wilson scoring in back to back games. Ooh, hang on a second. The next four matches are against Leicester, Liverpool, Man City and Man United. Oh, well. Oh, well.
4: Three points off safety. They're done.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Okay, well, uh, very shortly, we'll be hearing about Man United, actually, and their new direction. Next up, though, it's last season finally coming to an end on Sunday.
5: Looking for an assist
4: with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover –
5: You're listening to the Totally Purple Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet, 10 pounds. Excludes enhanced match odds. T and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. to Arca run to stay on sides. She's very much
2: on sides. Oh! Oh, my word. That's ridiculous.
4: The 2020
1: Women's FA Cup Final took place at Wembley on Sunday. Chelsea 3-0 winners over Arsenal. Flo Lloyd-Hughes joins us now on the line. Flo, lovely to have you back again. So Sunday at Wembley, 41,000 or so turned up. Uh, Arsenal not so much though, or is that a bit unfair?
6: No, I don't think it's unfair at all. Um they had a very, very, very bad day by their by their standards. Um Yonis did make a, a few changes in in respect of the team that beat Chelsea at the Emirates, and I think it was interesting that he decided to go for exactly the same team that played Manchester United and beat them 2-0 in the league just a few weeks previous. But the what we saw that was so effective at the Emirates was this left-hand side of Beth Mead and Katie McCabe. Yesterday, Beth Mead was playing on the right, Katie McCabe was playing on the left again, But where she's so, so, uh, so good. But she was linking up with Steph Catley, who's sort of come into the team since... since um, gaining full fitness so it just wasn't as effective erin cuthbert playing on the right for chelsea just absolutely dominated that whole side of the pitch lottoa Moy who's playing in place of leah williamson since she got a long-term hamstring injury she had a terrible game just looked like she was running through mud most of the match was getting bullied off the ball jem beattie probably wasn't fully fit after picking up an injury in the Scotland squad she played yesterday. So it just it just didn't look like the same Arsenal side that we saw uh, at the Emirates on that, on that first o- opening game of the season against Chelsea. And then in the same vein, it, it didn't look like the same Chelsea side that, that played that day. And in many ways it wasn't because uh, some of those o- Olympic uh, footballers were, were back now playing in this game and fully fit, whereas they didn't play at the Emirates. So they looked like mm. two completely different sides.
1: Right didn't take long for Chelsea to take lead Fran Kirby after just three minutes Uh, but the the, the standout where the pick of the the goals the three Chelsea goals the Sam Kerr chip or dink I don't know where you stand on that
6: yeah I I think it's a chip but it it is quite dinky yeah I would definitely say there's a real dink to it Um, what's the
1: difference Flo?
6: oh i couldn't tell you maybe i would say actually maybe a chip you get a bit more leg movement if you think about a chip in golf there's a right. bit more of an arc to it hmm. so maybe a dink you get a little bit less it's dink is more like a bunker shot and a chip is more like a full swing and a chip i, I don't thought,
4: know okay i thought flow it was it, it came dangerously close to being a scoop
6: yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it was quite scoopy. Yeah, we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to ask um, Sam Kerr what what she thinks. But yeah, I think it was it was really interesting after the match. Um, Emma Hayes did a, a really long press conference. I think she was in there maybe for like well over sort of twenty five minutes, half an hour, um, and she was understandably full of praise for for Kirby and Kerr. She said Frank Kirby was a national treasure and you know needs to be protected at all costs. And she said that when she took uh, Kirby off the pitch that she told her that was the best game she's ever had in a Chelsea shirt. I mean, she bossed the, the, the pitch yesterday. She was unbelievable. And um, Sam Kerr equally, Emma Hay said she's... Definitely the best striker in the world. She couldn't believe that people were saying that Sam Kerr might not be able to to sort of live up to the hype in England and, and she wasn't going to be able to play as well in WSL as she had elsewhere, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, she just proved yesterday how good she is. And I think what was so perfect is given everything around the day with the anniversary, with a lot of the the sort of celebration, I think, around women's football. And it did really feel like a sort of coming together of so many different generations of fans and ha- not having an FA Cup final with fans for so long. Mm. I think having Sam Kerr do what she did sort of cemented that because she is a showman. And we didn't quite see that from Viviane Miedema, who is also one of those players who can really sort of light it up. But Sam Kerr saw this opportunity to just show the world what, what how good she is and just put on a show. And she's such a big personality. So I think it was so perfect that that she, of all, of all players, kind of did that.
1: Mm, that anniversary, of course, the 100 years since the FA banned women's football, or at least banned FA clubs from allowing women's football to be played in their stadiums. Uh, Arsenal then, fresh from facing the best team, in England, uh, Emma Hayes' side now completing a domestic quadruple from last season, will be facing the best team probably in the world uh, on Thursday because they've got Barcelona turning up in, in the Champions League. Yikes.
6: It is a real yikes. I was getting a lot of texts yesterday from Arsenal fans very worried about, about Thursday. And I think for a lot of people, it's a great opportunity to just get to watch Barcelona in the flesh. I mean, I think Arsenal have sold... At least 10,000 already because they moved the kickoff a little bit earlier. It was meant to be 8 p.m. So I think probably maybe at least 15,000 will be there at the Emirates on Thursday. So I think regardless of the result, it's going to be a joy to watch Barcelona put on a masterclass, an absolute footballing workshop like they always do. But if you're an Arsenal fan, I can imagine you'll look at, at yesterday's result and think, ooh, not looking good ahead of that game against uh, against Barcelona. And they could end up with a pretty big uh, aggregate score in, in that in that group uh, against Barcelona because, yeah, I imagine it's, uh, it's going to be quite a schooling.
4: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Courtside to learn more.
5: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' Small Town Welsh Football Club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
1: Back to the Premier League. Natalie, how excited are you by the dawn of the Ralph Ragnick revolution?
2: (laughs) Maybe not as excited as you are, but uh, yes, no. pretty excited. Right. <laughs> yeah. Revolution. Uh, no, I think uh, we already seen a few positive things in terms of attitude, because, of, of course, he didn't have enough time to properly train the team. But uh, it, it, it was a bit different. I think one of the challenges for Rangnick it will be to make this United team more interesting, you know, because you have the talent, you have chances, uh, you you had a, a very good first half from, from Man United. They, they didn't look at all like they were losing control of the game uh, at any point. But they do need to show more ideas that are compatible with the talented players they have throughout the 90 minutes. I think we've seen a, a bit of that, a, a slight change of attitude and uh, during the first half. That's something to start with. Definitely.
1: A lot of people commenting on how they look like they they set up like Southampton with a budget. Is that a fair summary of his approach?
4: I mean, to an extent, yes. It was a four-two-two-two, which is what Ralph Hasenhuettel uses at Southampton. Um, there's a suspicion, and it might be unfair, that control and uh, the kind of individual brilliance of the Solskjaer's Manchester United, are, are kind of polar opposites, and the ideal lies somewhere in the middle. And I think that's probably valid. But I think that control has to be a necessary reaction to the lack of it that Manchester United had. And as Natalie says, they weren't good throughout the game. They suffered a a 20-minute pretty serious lapse in the second half. But at no point did it feel like they were going to get countered on, which against Crystal Palace, I mean, in this fixture last season, for example, is exactly what happened. Um, So that's a huge positive. It's about now... Instilling that control, and then maybe slightly, sort of, riding back from it a little bit and allowing that individual talent to perform within the system. But someone like Jaden Sanchez must be delighted by it because he's now got a manager who will kind of work out ways for him to get on the ball and be as dangerous as he can, which is the opposite of what he had three weeks ago.
3: Mm.
1: Another player who no doubt uh, thrilled at the uh, change on the bench is Fred. Here's a stat from Guess Who We're now less than three weeks. From Christmas, says Duncan. And Fred has as many league goals as Lionel Messi and Harry Kane put together. (laughs) Beautiful. Amazing.
2: So about Fred, a very controversial uh, name in terms of not being... Uh, 100% loved by all the fans. And many people ask me about Fred, like, what's up with that? He's He always starts for the national team. Uh, and I was actually talking uh, to the, the coaching staff in the Brazilian national team. And we were talking about, we were discussing Fred and the things that they like about Fred that, that really makes him a starter in, in Brazil is his passing they they really like the way that he passes and the way that he dominates the ball with both feet he um is a, is kind of an expression he cleans the play really well like without the ball he's very aggressive uh, they like his his th- this type of attitude, his aggressiveness without the ball, uh, and and his passing is very vertical. So uh, in their view, he helps the the game flow better. And they have been asking for him to be a little bit more offensive, to to do more offensive runs. And there's a big difference between the Fred who plays in the national team and the Fred who plays uh, at Man United is that in Brazil, he plays with either Fabinho or Casemiro. And they are very, very defensive midfielders. So it it gives Fred a bit more freedom. And I think uh, when we see nice moments from Fred uh, in terms of uh, supporting the, the front players, It's uh, when he feels safe enough to, you know, go to the final third and and score goals like he did against Crystal Palace. So, yeah, I think there are these things uh, that need to be considered. Fred sometimes gets a lot of stick from uh, when Man United doesn't play well, sometimes unfair in my opinion. But he has a lot of qualities and and the the, the coaching staff from the national team sees that and Man United as well.
4: Hmm. In terms of him at Manchester United under Rangnick, it's a lot easier to refine a player that already has the attitude and the hard work, than it is to to refine a player who has some of the individual talent but lacks the hard work and the attitude. So, Ooh, who are you Rangnick thinking would of, mu- Daniel? Well, Rangnick would much prefer. Having a midfielder like Fred, who he can kind of scope a little bit and guide, rather than having a kind of luxury central midfielder. Someone like, I mean, you may be hinting at Cristiano Ronaldo, but I was thinking no. Bruno Fernandes. Uh, I okay. mean, I think Fred is a much more archetypal Rangnick type player. And if if Rangnick is going to have a role in either choosing his, the, his successor or, or as, as reports said last week, choosing himself as successor, then... You know that, that does bode well for Fred. He's certainly, this is a manager that suits him better than either of the last two. Brilliant.
1: Out with Bruno Fernandes, install Fred in that role. Do you think <laughs> that part of the stick that he gets,
4: uh, Natalie, is because he's Brazilian
1: and people come with a set of expectations of a Brazilian midfielder, even now?
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe, maybe, mm. partially, yes. And I think uh, sometimes people may expect Fred to be a little bit more like, like a very defensive midfielder, like right. a Fabinho or like a right. Casemiro or like, and, and he doesn't have that that player in the team. Of course, you have like uh, McTominay, he's uh, full of qualities, but it's just a different type of player, you know? And I think sometimes uh, defensively, they, they expect more from Fred and I think mo- most of the frustration comes from that as well.
1: All right then. Dom, Jordan Ayew didn't clean the plate well. <laughs>
3: I think I'm using that right. <laughs> I think he might have been offside had he scored. Oh, really? Okay. Possibly. Anyway, It's a bit of a um, reality check for Palace the last eight days. Three defeats on the bounce. Um, I think that's a truer reflection of probably where they are in their development as a team. Very disrupted by the loss of Jones MacArthur, and Joachim Anderson. And it shouldn't really be a situation where two players out of your team suddenly throws you into a tailspin. So they were poor against Villa. Unlucky against Leeds and too passive at United, really. It's a shame because they could have given Solskjaer as a team a, a, a proper game of football, I think.
1: Now, also this weekend, another of football's revolutionaries, Marcelo Bielsa, saw his Leeds team held by Brentford. Leeds, in fact, earning a draw in the most dramatic of circumstances when Patrick Bamford came on and within Daniel, I think, virtually seconds earned that 95th-minute equaliser and then scenes.
4: Yeah, uh and they needed that because that completely shifts, I mean results are always shift the mood, but that completely shifted the mood from hang on we're in a real pickle here because Calvin Phillips went off injured. Right. Uh and Liam Cooper went off injured. And I mean if Phillips misses any extended period of time then that's a complete season changer for Leeds because he is he he defines that team. He's by far their best player even with Bamford back. Um And also what happens whenever Leeds get a player injured mid-game at the moment is that Bielsa seems to completely change the team, which, you know, so on Saturday, Liam Cooper went off injured at centre-back and Bielsa's response was to bring on Jack Harrison and put him to left wing, (laughs) then move Daniel James from a winger to centre-forward, Tyler Roberts from centre-forward to number 10 and (laughs) Calvin Phillips into centre-back. And you kind of think, you know, footballers are pretty good at dealing with stuff tactically, but there's quite a lot to think about (laughs) in one (laughs) substitution. Oh, by the way, does anybody know who leads
1: director of football, Victor Orta, was so upset by? Brilliant, though,
3: wasn't it? Yeah.
1: (laughs) How do you
2: justify that, honestly? It was just like the
3: bloke who's standing in front, was like really awkward. (laughs) He he wanted to shut him up, but obviously he wasn't quite as senior as... (laughs) I was
2: thinking, if I was friends with him, and I mm. was with him there, w- would I have tried to stop and be on national TV <laughs> trying to hold this guy? Or hold would I back. have just, yeah, or yes, exactly, well, would I be just like, oh my God, no, I'm just going to leave. I don't know this guy, you know? <laughs> no, but I, I, I totally agree
1: with you, Natalie. There's no justification for that. No. Well, so basically, and,
4: he was he was annoyed that Brentford, fa- which always happens in that there was obviously Brentford VIPs in the Leeds director's mm. box area, and when celebrated their goals um, as vocally as they might. And yeah, so Orta kind of gave it the big shush, shush, shush at the end. But it was quite a hold me back, lads, kind of. It reminded me of Jack, sort of when Jack Wilshire used to get into scraps in his early Arsenal days and he used to be kind of four Arsenal players when I hold him back. <laughs>
2: mm. But he's a director, well, Yeah,
4: that think. is a fair point. <laughs> it's bizarre to get yeah. wound up
3: by opposing directors, though. I mean, come on, seriously. It's, That's it's, the passion.
2: And
4: also, if you watch Leeds often enough as in the director's box, the opponents are going to score against you.
1: (laughs) This is true. Brentford, meanwhile, disappointment for them, missing out on the three points. Only one win now in their last eight matches, but still feel like 12th place, seven points off the drop. It's not bad going for Thomas Frank and company, and better times will surely come. Also finishing in a draw, that South Coast derby between Saints and Brighton. But Brighton again, second time in a matter of days that they've played the final stretch of the match with 10 men and that Neil Mopé has scored a late equaliser for them. It was 89th minute against West Ham midweek and the 96th minute against Saints here. Remarkable stuff.
3: Neil Mopé should not be allowed to score in stoppage time. That should be a rule. He's done it too often this season. It's, it's amazing, his, his, his timing and and. Yeah, God, you just put three men on him in stoppage time, wouldn't you? You just just, just yeah. don't let him get the ball. Um, they're brilliant, great resilience from them from Brighton. They it's weird because they've they've gone ten games without a win in the Premier League, and yet they seem to be playing still with a real confidence and belief, and and it's, it's not affecting them. I know they've only lost two of those ten, but but it would sort of you think it would play on your mind a bit. But no, still top half, still having a really good season, a good run. And I'm sure that that uh, that win will come soon. Mm. Ralph Hasenuttle with a kind of Victor Orter-esque outburst
1: at the the final whistle about his own keeper, Alex McCarthy, who, unbeknownst to him, although you think he'd have picked up on this, uh, had got injured earlier in the game and thus wasn't really able to deal with Mope's uh, equaliser.
2: That was just weird. I mean, guys, talk, you know, talk it through because <laughs> he was very upset uh, with the fact that McCarthy was was injured and apparently that that had an effect on on the goal that they they suffered. Uh, but what's up with that? Is it a matter of the goalkeeper saying, okay, I can't handle this. I, I need I, I can't be uh, here for the whole 90 minutes. Is the goalkeeper's uh, coach? Does he had to has to speak with Ralph and say okay let's change because they had one substitution to 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 do still mm. so it was just a weird weird it was just weird. Did
1: they did they have a substitute on the bench though or anybody they felt was reliable because they've had to go to uh, Willie Caballero who was uh, out of contract and bring him in as a kind of emergency signing with Alex McCarthy now out and, and Fraser Forster. Already yeah, unavailable. To, I think,
4: yeah, they had, they did have a substitute goalkeeper on the bench. It's Harry Lewis, who is a yeah, a kind of academy graduate, young goalkeeper. So, I, I kind of get it's one of those things that the result ends up defining the conversation. But if Southampton hold on and Alex McCarthy, you know stays on and kind of plugs through everyone sort of says oh well well done for plugging through and it meant we didn't have to use a, a newbie goalkeeper it's just yeah it was the fact that James Ward-Prowse felt we had to go and cover the post because McCarthy basically couldn't cover that or couldn't jump which then played everyone on side so it was Ward-Prowse probably doesn't have to do that it's a kind of just a collective balls up which I mean what Haas and was annoyed about is the fact that they keep dropping points you know I think we say 71 since he joined the club from from winning positions which is far more than any other Premier League team.
1: Mm.
4: They're in that throng
1: of teams in the lower end of the table who are all just kind of one bad result away from finding themselves back in the relegation conversation. We won't mention some of the other teams in there, uh, Dom. <laughs> uh, Everton are, are though, but they've got a game in hand because they're playing Monday night. Uh, they're at home to Arsenal in a match which We'll apparently see several Everton fan groups walking out of the game and then walking back in again five minutes later. It's the 27th minute protest at the, inverted commas, unacceptable, close inverted commas, 27-year trophy drought at Goodison. Uh, Let's show that the incompetence from the top at Everton Football Club cannot continue. Do you find the word unacceptable an intriguing one in, Mm -hmm. in a football
4: And also, if if football clubs have taught us anything, it's that that incompetence very much can continue (laughs) as (laughs) long as it likes. (laughs) Uh, One change that
1: has happened, you've probably seen, is that Marcel Brands, the director of football, has left Mm. at the club. Uh, The man who was kind of in charge of recruitment there.
4: Yeah, but uh, Farhad Mashiri went on on TalkSport last week to kind of sort of I guess a bit of a PR missive so say so, so we're sticking with Benitez and you know we've learned our lessons and yada 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 and then sacks Marcel Brands who only got a new three year contract in April mm. and given that Everton couldn't spend any money in the summer presumably he, he hasn't done anything since April that makes him worthy of the sack therefore why on earth was he given a new three year contract in April when everyone could see that Everton had kind of were kind of guilty of this weird gross r- wastage on Fairly average players.
1: It's that kind of thinking that's uh, causing Everton fan groups to walk out (laughs) for five minutes Monday night. All right. Uh, That game may well have taken place by the time you hear this, listener. I wonder how it went. Anyway, we'll talk about it on Thursday. Still to come in today's show, we'll be discussing bad weekends for Jesse Marsh, uh, Jose Mourinho, and German referees with match fixing backgrounds. Uh, First of all, though, let's get some odds. Producer Charlie's talking with Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power.
5: Hello, Jimbo. Hello, listener. Hello, Carl Monahun from Paddy Power. Bye-bye, Champions League group stage. It's match day six, where thanks to the downright dominance of the English teams, there's not a huge amount of drama, except on Wednesday where Barcelona could be knocked out. If Benfica beat Dynamo Kiev, Barca have to go to Munich and win. What's their recent record like against Bayern, Carl? Is it decent? Do
0: you like pulp with your fresh orange juice, Charlie? Because that is what barn have beaten Barca too in their recent head-to-heads. The sides have met six times in the Champions League in the last decade with barn winning five of those encounters, including the infamous 8-2 massacre a couple of seasons ago Ouch, that one still stings for Barca fans, I'm sure. So it's really not a good fixture for Barca considering the circumstances in the Champions League this week and the possibility of no Barca in the knockout stages, listener, is looking like a pretty likely outcome. But Xavi has made a decent start to his Barca reign with two wins a draw and a 1-0 home loss to Real Betis last Saturday. The new Barca coach, interestingly, was a bright and slight 20-year-old back in 2000 the last time the mighty Catalans got knocked out in the group stages. Europa League football for Barca just doesn't sound right, Charlie. And in terms of the betting, Bayern are 8-11. The draw is 100-30 and the Barca win is 3-1.
5: I want to talk about Group G, where the G stands for goodness gracious, what a group. All four teams could still qualify. It's Wolfsburg v Lille and Salzburg v Sevilla. Are Sevilla on their way back into the Europa League, Carl?
0: That's the first time in 12 years that it's been possible for four teams to qualify from a group in matchday six. Hashtag stat attack. To answer your question, Charlie, yes, I think Sevilla may indeed find themselves back in the Europa League after this round of games. Their opponents on Wednesday night, Red Bull Salzburg, have never reached the last 16 of the competition before and are unbeaten at home all season in all competitions. So maybe the Austrians, to avoid defeat and get a draw with Sevilla at around 23-10, looks a decent shout. In the other match in this group, 8th in the Bundesliga meets 12th in Ligue 1 as Wolfsburg Lockhorns with Lille. The Germans have lost 6 of their last 10 games in all competitions while the French outfit managed an eye-catching win in Sevilla a few weeks ago. So Charlie, my spidey senses are tingling here and Lille look a decent bet at a price of around 11-5. to To win that one, Wolfsburg are the favourites at 6-5 to and the draw is 12-5. to
1: you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League shows out on Monday. Today, listener. Daniel, you are going to make the longest trip in the Football League.
4: Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, getting a, I'm making this slightly rash decision to get a train to Plymouth on Friday afternoon, which is five and a half hours. And then... At 4.45am, get on the supporters coach up to Sunderland for kick-off. Get on the coach back after the game, which gets back to Plymouth at 3am on Sunday. And then get the 10am train from Plymouth back to Loughborough, which is good. No, it'll be amazing. I can't wait. Really can't Excellent.
1: wait. I mean, it, it it will in some ways be amazing, but also, I mean, that's brave.
4: That, yeah, that but... I kind of, uh, the reason I wanted to do it is kind of Mm. with this Crouch report and the kind of backlash from Premier League clubs. It feels like it's worth every now and then kind of submerging your footballing soul in something a little bit less, uh, in inverted commas, elite. So, yeah, I can't wait.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I look forward to to hearing your experiences. Natalie, you're off to Porto against Atletico.
2: Yes. Yeah, Um, that's on
1: Tuesday. That's in that Champions League.
2: Yes, because we have uh, Porto, Atletico, Madrid and Milan all fighting for one spot on Liverpool's group. So it's going to be cool.
1: It will be. We'll we'll be discussing all of that in the European edition of the Totally Football Show, which is out, as you know, listener, first thing on Tuesday, uh, detailing the games that matter from match day six of the Champions League, but also looking back, a bad weekend's for Jesse Marsh and Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho, this wasn't a huge surprise. His Roma side... Uh, hosted Inter the Serie A champions on Saturday. It was actually Mourinho's first meeting with Inter since he led them to the treble back in uh, 2010. And the funny thing was he gave Inter another treble because they won 3-0 at the Stadio Olimpico. Ha ha <laughs> ha. José Mourinho as ever magnanimous afterwards.
2: <laughs>
1: I don't know did you see his press conference or his, his
2: I I press? read the quotes. I Yeah. Honestly. Uh, Do you remember, it wasn't so long ago that he was praising the Italian press, saying that uh, there he can talk about tactics more because they ask about these things. And now he's saying things like, your job is much easier than mine. And that is why us in football, we earn more money than you. Like, honestly, Mm. really?
1: Yeah. Well, the question he was asked that uh, had upset him so much is why his his Roma side had been so passive in the second half. They were already 3 nil down after... Half time, but they made no effort really to to get back into this. Seemed quite happy to defend a 3 0 deficit. Anyway, uh, more on that from that James Horncastle in Tuesday's show. We'll also have Raphael Honigstein on Jesse Marsh getting binned at RB Leipzig. And, of course, the big game between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Quite extraordinary this. And again, some pretty interesting post game comments. So Bayern Munich were only a point ahead of Borussia going into this game, which was at Borussia Dortmund's Signal Iduna Park. But of course Bayern won it, 3-2, with a bit of refereeing controversy. Dortmund denied a penalty they felt they should have had. And uh, yes, Bayern given one, uh, which Lewandowski converted for the win. Jude Bellingham then, after the game, saying, you give a referee that has match-fixed before the biggest game in Germany, what do you expect? Woof. There's talk that there might be criminal charges for defamation for Jude for those comments. But what he says is actually factual. The extraordinary thing is that uh, Felix Zweier, who was the uh, official in question, has uh, previously served a six-month suspension for accepting a €300 bribe for assisting another referee in match-fixing. This was way back in the noughties, January uh, 2005, and, and the case didn't originally come to light because the Bundesliga did everything kind of behind closed doors. Eventually, it came out. It was pretty remarkable that you can continue. I mean, I'm all for second chances, but you you feel like maybe if an official has admitted accepting a bribe to fix a game or help fix a game, you you, you might suggest other pastimes for him. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Bellingham obviously was reacting. He's right in what he says, but. Hmm. He also knows by saying that, that he is inviting uh, a kind of a storm, I'm sure. Uh, I, I really, I mean, it was it was the wrong thing to say and it was probably pretty dim, but I really liked it. I liked the fact that it showed he had that kind of spikiness to cause something. And also, fair play. I mean, he's only 19 and he's, he's not been there that long. Good research on the referee. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of,
1: was he even
3: born when Felix wire Exactly, yeah. Yeah. You suspect it might watch, have cropped but... up in some of the pre-match stuff in the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, in the Dortmund fair. dressing room. <laughs>
1: yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, best of luck on your trip to Sun- well, Plymouth and then Sunderland, Daniel. And Natalie, uh, your jaunt off to uh, the lovely Porto. Hope that goes yes. well.
2: Yes, with warmer, warmer weather.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Dom, whatever it is you're cooking up for this midweek, perhaps some other 80s band <laughs> with Palace related lyrics like, I think it's sort of 90s really isn't
3: it I don't were know. they? I suppose they oh yeah, maybe 90s, early right 90s yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah fair alright then <laughs> alright well uh, that's it for today's Totally Listener thank you so much for being with us we're back Tuesday and then on Thursday see you then for now from all of us here it's goodbye
5: you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
3: The Athletic.